Ciao, and welcome to The Fatal Charm of Italy, a question-and-answer podcast hosted by me, Rick Zullo, from rickzullo.com. In each episode, my guests and I will attempt to unravel the mysteries of the Bel Paese, diving into diverse topics ranging from cultural curiosities, to travel advice, to language tips, to food discussions, always with a healthy dose of humor and a genuine affection for the object of our shared fixation, that paradise of exiles, Italy. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave an honest review if so inclined. Now, without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Buongiorno a tutti. Today I have with me Judy Rizfrancini. She's a Tuscany expert, uh, an author, a food tour leader, and a chef. So welcome, Judy. How are you today? Fine. Thank you so much, Rick. It's great to be here. Great to have you as always. Um, so, you know, I, I know you you almost had to cancel this because you were came down with a little case of uh, what? <laughs> the, the, big, the other big C. Oh, the other big C, right. Well, yeah, we'll get to that. But uh, yeah, you, you got you tested positive for COVID and you said you had a little fever for a couple of days, but you've yeah. been vaccinated. So you bounced back pretty quick. Yeah, it's kind of funny in that um, I thought it was just becoming more Italian. You know how you get the, <laughs> the frescata? Yeah, or the copolari or something. They always like die when they're when they get cold breezes on the back of their neck or something. Right. And the other day I came home from a hot day outside and I just took off my pants and came here by my computer desk and was just in my t-shirt. And there's a really cool breeze coming in and it felt so good. And when I went to bed that night, I got a fever. I Uh. said, oh my God, I know I'm becoming Italian. There's (laughs) no way I could ever get sick by getting a cool breeze all day. So being Italian is contagious, apparently, as well. So uh. <laughs> I think you can learn to understand. I've been here almost 38 years now. Wow. And that whole thing, you know, congestion, congestione. Yes. Where you're not supposed to take a shower or eat or drink or go for a bath. You know, if you eat and drink, you're not supposed to, you're supposed to wait, wait three hours. Right. Before you go in the water, which could be a shower or swimming or anything like that. No, I never understood that. <laughs> well... If you live in a country where they don't use ice, they don't use air conditioning, those are kind of really big shocks to their system. Right. And so twice since I've been here, I've gotten congestione Mm. and it feels like you're having a heart attack. Wow. So I don't make make fun of anybody anymore. Okay. I mean, I'm sorry. I shouldn't either, but you know, sometimes I just can't help myself. (laughs) (laughs) What's what's Copadaria then compared to congestione? Uh, Copodaglia is like the beginning of it, kind of oh. where you just get a little breeze on the back of your neck, but it could turn into congestione if it actually blocks your system. And originally, even in America, I think we were told, you know, wait for an hour after you've eaten to, before you go swimming. And apparently there is a scientific fact that when you're digesting your food, mm-hmm. all your blood goes to digesting your food. And if you get cold, it stops that. Yeah. So, um, no, no, I, I, you know, I, I don't dismiss any of it really. I mean, I, I kind of joke about it sometimes, but you know, probably cause I'm, I don't know about it. So we, we, we make fun of what we don't understand. Right. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, no, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then cold, strega is something. I mean, we take food right out of the refrigerator and have a cold. We'll take yeah. a cold Coke and add ice to it. Right. 
I know, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Well, listen, we started talking uh, before, I, before I started recording here, we, we were talking about the, you know, I was mentioning your latest blog post, which is a whirlwind, by the way. I mean, you go through so much on that post, we, uh, all your activities, like you, you must be the busiest person in, in Florence or in Tuscany. Um, well, I'm not busy. I think I've just, as I was saying in the article, have adapted. Yeah, right. Well, let's talk about that because you kind of led off with this idea of Renaissance and, you know, uh, Florence being the city of Renaissance. And you're, you're what, about 25 kilometers from Florence or so? Or how far are you? Um, 30? Yeah, about half, halfway between Florence and Siena. Okay, wow. Go to a great spot. Chitalo. So it's called Chitalo? Yeah, well, it's where Boccaccio came from. Ah, now see, I didn't know that. I just yeah. wrote about Boccaccio on my blog uh, about a month ago. and uh, it's, um, it's a really gorgeous uh, medieval hill town. Mm-hmm. Pretty much untouched. They've tried to make it not San Gimignano, mm-hmm. but it's brick, floor to ceiling, mm-hmm. walls still around it. Very few things to really. It's not commercial. It has you know a few restaurants, a hotel, a museum to Boccaccio. Um, this weekend they're doing a medieval dinner party. They do that once a year. Like outdoor, like a big, old. big in the square. Uh, no, in the old city. Uh, they put about 400 people, uh, tables and chairs with their backs to the wall. Oh, wow. And then down the center, uh, dinner is served and it's like dinner on a show. So we have a theatrical group up there that performs. Are you going? Walking on stilts. Um, <coughs> excuse me. All in costume. And then you're eating out of clay bowls with a clay glass. Wow. And I'm trying to think, maybe a, a spoon. Because you get um, soup, uh, a grilled pork shank, very rustic food. Yeah. And then you take your uh, clay things home with you. Wow, that sounds fun. You going to go? It's really nice, yeah. You going to go this year? Yeah. No, I'm not really good with crowds. I've been a couple of times, mm-hmm. um, but I did book it. For, I have clients arriving this week, and I booked it for them. Great. Well, they'll love it. They'll, and they'll love you for yeah. introducing them to it. Um, so, you know, we were talking a little bit about the, you, you said you have clients coming, which is great. So the, the, you said that pretty much tourism is back in full swing now post-COVID. Is that true? It's packed. It's, it's packed. packed. Yeah. yeah I'm hearing from people back. in the U.S. that they can't get a hotel room. It's like that. No, time. it's packed. It's just packed. You think two of all the people, like even Chertaldo is one of the biggest towns now to come and get married in. Hmm. Because it's got a beautiful little chapel and the hillside's so pretty. But um, weddings are all back. And most people book weddings. It was like, you know, at least 30, 40 people for a wedding, if not hundreds, you know. And um, I've had people that have been booked up now for six, six months. Okay. And so we, as we're talking today, this is the middle of June. Um, w- what are the current requirements for visiting Italy as far as, you know, do you have to have a green, a COVID pass or do you have to show? No, uh, nothing. 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 Okay. I, and, and the U.S. just talking lifted. about it today. Yeah. Um, I think at the end of the month, they're reevaluating. You're supposed to wear your mask on a train. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't remember where else, because I never really go anywhere to do anything that I would need a mask. But, so planes, um, trains, metros, buses. Yeah, all your public transportation, yeah. you would need it on. But like going to the grocery store or the market, no. And okay, but at the end of the month, they may lift that too. So They may lift that, but... The numbers are going back up. Yeah, in the U.S. as well. Oh, every, I think you know the whole West. Uh, you know, and the U.S. just dropped their need for a test to go back in. That's right, 
which should open up travel even more because I think a lot of people were afraid of you know being stuck someplace and you know have exactly. to quarantine for two and weeks. I have had clients and friends getting stuck. Yeah. So are you seeing an uptick in the last uh, few days since they announced the removal of that restriction? I mean, as far as like your inquiries or is it you've been pretty steady, I guess, for a while. So people usually are six months ahead of time. So at least. Yeah. So, uh, well, let's just go quickly through. Well, not even quickly. I mean, just take me through what you're doing as far as, uh, you you know, helping people enjoy Tuscany. I I know you um, you help plan their trips. You do some actual hands-on stuff yourself with your clients. So maybe just bring us through all the different things that you offer to people. Uh, first of all, like in person, then we can talk about some of your online stuff after that. Yeah. Well, basically I've been doing, uh, teaching cooking classes and I had my own space until a few years ago. And now I just travel to someone's villa nearby mm-hmm. me and do classes for them in their villa. Okay. Mostly I do my market tour in Florence. Mm-hmm. Um, down at the central market. When did that, when did that, they rebuilt that whole thing a few years back. When was that? They um, renovated the upstairs. Oh, okay. Another, another renaissance. Another renaissance. So wow. originally the Florence's markets from like the 1870s when Florence became the capital of Italy. Um, Italy was reunited and the first capital was Torino where the, right. cap, where the king was. And then when it became um, Italy as a government, mm-hmm. they um, moved it first to Florence. I didn't know that. I always thought it was Torino. For a few years. Yeah, okay. And then they moved it to Rome. Okay, interesting. So when they made Florence the the capital of Italy, they knocked down all the city walls and put in a big viale for you to drive around the city. Mm -hmm. Built parks, built gardens. Um, uh, Napoleon even was here all the time. Wow. There's a lot of famous people that were here and it was a, you know, cultural center, but I think it wasn't big enough really to be the capital. So then they moved it to Rome. So when they made it the capital, they built the San Lorenzo market, the mm-hmm. Sant'Ambrosio market, which is behind Santa Croce. And then supposedly a third market was planned, but never built. Okay. So the Florence market, if you look at it, looks like to me a French train station. Very art deco, art liberty, wrought iron. Mm-hmm. It's uh, got wooden shutters, but not windows, really. So we're talking about and San then- Lorenzo now. Yes, San Lorenzo, that's Arian. And it was originally built on one floor. Um, There was refrigerator units downstairs for um, a storage. Mm -hmm. And the fruit and vegetable people were outside in the back parking lot. And uh, inside were the meat, cheese, chicken, fish, all that. In 1966, Florence flooded and they lost all that refrigeration. So they decided to build a, what in Italy, a first floor, built another floor, brought, (coughs) excuse me, still a little cough. They brought the the fruit and vegetable people and put them all upstairs with the refrigeration units. And that was in 19, after 1966. So then in the late uh, 1980s, I moved here in 84. The late 80s, already there were a few stands that, you know, people had retired or died or was becoming kind of empty upstairs a little bit. And then um, a few years ago, they decided to restore it. They didn't really tell anybody what they're going to do, but they were like, oh, we're going to put in a bank amount and we're going to put in a, what's the ATM machine and we're going to put in, what else did they say? A post office. I don't know. It was kind of crazy what they were going to do up there. Yeah. 
<clears throat> and I guess somebody had an idea and they actually put it up for auction. So if anybody had a really good idea, they could uh, bid on it. And the man who won was actually a Michelin star chef who had a restaurant in Florence. <clears throat> he also taught at the hotel school. He was from Southern Italy and he had a lot of dreams. He was really smart. So he opened upstairs an artisan food market. And he rebuilt the whole place, built all the kitchens, built everything, invited the artisans to come. To enter, you didn't pay rent. You pay a percentage of what you make. Mm -hmm. He does all the advertising. He built the kitchens. <clears throat> he has all the staff. Wow. And um, so it was kind of a win-win situation for those people that did that. The only problem is they're open from 10 in the morning till midnight. Now, in Italy, who works that? like yeah. that? Nobody. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's, but that's brilliant though. I mean, he came up with a model that didn't exist before that and uh, sounds like it was successful. Exactly. So now he's opened one at the Rome train station, <clears throat> Torino. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Rome, Torino. I should have looked this so up. So there's one inside Termini or the new, the new train station, Tibertino? It's in Termini. It's on the far side at the very end. You would walk outside and go down away from the station and it has the outside entrance. Okay, I'm trying to picture. Okay. <coughs> so have you been some, there? Have you been yeah, to the Rome one? Yeah, okay. I love it. <clears throat> because it's also, I think Americans sometimes too have more of an open mind to a food court. Yeah. Um, how easy it is and how fun. You just point and look and you can get things. Right. Uh, sometimes going into a restaurant, uh, there was still that mentality of you have to order a full menu and feels intimidating. Yeah. It's intimidating. And this is more like, Oh, look, I can get this. So even in the Florence one, we actually have a, um, a, a Chinese like dim sum stand. Oh, wow. Which is from a chef in Milano, Chinese women. The, there's one woman I know that speaks English. The other ones don't speak even Italian or anything. Wow. Um, I wonder if she speaks English. I know she speaks Italian. But they do steamed dumplings, three different kinds, a vegetarian, um, a pork, and a beef. They do a spring roll. And for a while, they were doing the jambing, the Chinese breakfast crepe. Mm -hmm. And now instead, they're doing pulled noodles, a noodle, like an udon. Mm -hmm. We have a sushi guy who's a famous sushi guy. So for Italians, it's appealing in that they're also getting something new. Right. Yeah. Without the overhead expenses of being mm -hmm. in a restaurant. Right. So the prices are pretty reasonable. So you and, see a pretty uh, good mix of Italians and tourists in there. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people are like, oh, this is really touristy. Well, yeah, but Italians are tourists too. Yeah. Right. Okay. Especially they're and from another have, city or something. But and yeah, again, sure. it's appealing because he has big screens. So he'll, he'll post the soccer games when they're there. They've got in-house radio. Nice. Music, cocktails, aperitivo. Do you take um, your clients there or something, you know, to, to experience that? Do you usually take your clients there when they come? Oh, yeah, I do it as part of my market tour. We start downstairs oh, and we go upstairs. Okay, so you do that too. Okay, so. Um, I think it's fascinating. We have a prize-winning chocolate tier that has a chocolate place. There's a, a, a prize-winning um, pizza guy from actually outside of Naples that has a stand. Um, there's a farm outside of Florence that it's part grocery store and part restaurant would you compare it to like a, a version of italy or 
Is it something um, completely different than that? Kind of. I mean, obviously, it doesn't have the corporate uh, influence like Italy would, but um, exactly. Yeah, I think it's much more personal and uh, feels more organic, more smaller. real. Yeah, yeah. Like there's a local uh, guy that does the traditional Tuscan fried food. There's the traditional Tuscan lampredotto. There's traditional uh, the boiled meats. There's a fish market from um, Pisa that does fish. And for his restaurants, he put in, they have, most of them have a, a, a griddle. Uh, it's a, there's an oven where you open the door and it's a charcoal barbecue. Wow. So you can get charcoal grilled things, but there's no open smoke. I mean, it sounds like a great, a great venue for anybody. I mean, it's, I mean, it's also sounds like you said, Australia. what's, oh, really? Wow. Yeah, he's a, he's a, a visionary. Wow. And you know him, obviously. I mean, you've met him. Yeah, I've gone to his restaurant since he was here. He owned a famous restaurant called Ale Morate, which was on Via Ghibellina, and I lived on Via Ghibellina. And then he owned Cafe Italiano, which he opened kind of as a chain. Mm -hmm. Fresh mozzarella is brought up daily. I What's mean, his name again? Umberto Montana. Umberto Montana. Okay. And he's from the south of Italy. Yeah, Basilicata. Basilicata. Wow. Nobody's from Basilicata. <laughs> yeah, that's the one, that's well, the one region. That's what it, if you got out of Basilicata, you had to come north to work. Right. Well, that's so I think true. He came up and went to the hotel restaurant management program and and saw value in the cuisine from where he was from. Right. I, I, what I meant by that was I just, it, it seems like it's the least known or least visited region <laughs> of Italy. It's probably one of the poorer regions too, I, I imagine. So. Definitely one of the poor, like in Matera. Mm -hmm. Well, it's that's in Basilicata. I always think of that as being, uh, yeah, okay. That's not in Puglia. It's close that's, to Puglia, but okay. when I go to Puglia, I always go to Matera. Yeah, yeah. I've, and then I've once been... I actually went, uh, Francis Ford Coppola's family is from Basilicata. Mm -hmm. And he went back to the village his family was from and saved it by opening up a beautiful five-star hotel. Wow. And a little cafe, restaurant. I mean, it kind of, Francis Ford Coppola kind of looks like a... a a movie, movie set. set yeah <laughs> i mean he's got all little signs hand painted and yeah you know nothing like really what italy is like now but um yeah it's well it's a, yeah so it's a snapshot i guess from the past a recreation you know so that's something that's probably nostalgic for him so exactly. um, so now when you take your clients i, I know you do the, you said you do the, the market tours um you help them set up their own itineraries for things to do mm -hmm. around tuscany but you do do um cooking classes still you said at the villa your friend's villa yeah so. right now um and i also still organize culinary weeks right so, which would be a, a a full immersion of of touring and uh cooking um really full immersion so i do that in tuscany in sicily and Puglia. yeah what what is the when you do a cooking class i mean what i just was hoping you can maybe walk me through like a typical menu or what so for people you know i guess what i'm trying to do here is like you know people hear about tuscan food and of course what you know in the u.s you'll hear things like chicken florentine or um chicken parmigiana, yeah. chicken parmigiana but that's not they don't call it tuscan food necessarily but yeah people would think that probably or what are some of the other tuscan names they have like tuscan salad tuscan chicken salad i mean like what on earth is that well, I mean, i've seen all these <laughs> things and i think it's a, a marketing well, it is sure tuscan yeah like even the pancinella the bread salad we have no one does it with croutons yeah right right so i What's, think i think i've heard yeah. people complain 
uh, that Florentine food isn't Italian food. Right, right. And it's not, but they don't know that nowhere is Italian food. That's right. That with Italian American food is mostly the food of their grandparents from Southern Italy that had to immigrate. So and they had to, they had to adapt their, their food from their original town to what the ingredients they could find in the US. Yeah, and I think from Tuscany, the largest group that left were people from Lucca. Mm-hmm. There's a um, Lucchese of the World Association. Oh, really? And San Francisco has a lot of restaurant people from Lucca. Interesting. Um, so what would you make during your food um, day, uh, your cooking class day that you would do with your clients? What would be the, it's the, very the menu? seasonal, very seasonal. Good. So right I'm glad now, to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. Blossoms. Huh? Right now we're doing stuffed zucchini blossoms. Oh, yeah, right. If you already do, they're just yeah. all over the place now. So yeah. we get the beautiful, um, actually you stuff the male flowers, mm-hmm. which don't produce the zucchini, Right. Right. So there's male and female. Right. And so the male ones, uh, you could tell immediately there's no zucchini and you pick them and they're, they tend to be usually larger. And uh, we empty them out. Put them, in Florence, we put ricotta cheese in them. Okay. In Rome, they deal with mozzarella and anchovies. Oh, uh, both sound side. good. So you do most, just, just ricotta, that's all. And then you, and you, then you do what? You bake it or what, you fry oh, it? Batter fry them. Batter fry them, okay. Wow, that sounds wonderful. Uh, it's yeah. been a long time since I've had that, but they're but they're beautiful to look at too. I mean, they're really it's they're really gorgeous. And there's so many vision. variations you could do. So what is the, what else would we have then? If that's going to be is that is that considered a, an antipasto? <laughs> that would be like an appetizer. Is, yeah. And um, I like to teach people something that you it's something you can't really buy when you go home. Mm-hmm. So we have a regional pasta that's called peachy. Peachy, yes. Pici which kind of starts actually south of Siena, goes down through Umbria, and then you find these flour and water doughs. There's mm-hmm. no eggs in them, uh, mostly in southern Italy. Yeah. And it can become orecchiette, cavatelli, uh, busiate, all the different regional southern Italian pastas mm-hmm. are flour and water. So that's great. And here we just roll them out to be like spaghetti. Right. And what do you, what would be, it would be uh, sort of a ragu that you would do with this or <coughs> what would you? Um, I uh, have been doing a uh, kind of a duck ragu mm, interesting. where I buy a whole duck, but recently I haven't been able to find ducks in my shop. They're only available like on Wednesdays. Wow. Um, so what so, about the chignale? Do you ever use that? I do, That's... but it takes a long time. Okay. So, uh, you have to, mar- like when I'm doing a week-long class, we can marinate things one day, cook them slowly another day, and like your mom would or something, you know, eat That's them nice. the next day. Wow. So it's when you do, like usually I do three days of cooking, two days of touring. And we could do some of these more important things. But I found that this, uh, I've been using a guinea hen, mm-hmm. you know, there, like a black chicken with polka dots on it, yeah. a faraona. And you uh, cook it, cut up into like eight pieces. And you make it like a ragu. Any of your things usually are cooked browned first and then sauteed like in a tomato sauce and wine and herbs and everything. And you cook it till it can fall off the bone. So then you take the meat out, pull it off the bone, mince it back up and throw it back in. So to me, that was kind of like, we're talking about like, what is Italian food? Chicken cacciatore or spaghetti and meatballs. the chicken was cooked in this really rich sauce 
and then the chicken was taken out usually and served as a main course. And that sauce had the drippings from the chicken in it, but they didn't have enough money to have meat in a first course and a main course. Right. So it'd be this really rich sauce that had cooked for hours on your pasta. And then you would have the chicken with a little bit of the sauce with maybe a salad and some sauteed spinach and some roast potatoes as your main course. Spaghetti meatballs, this is the same thing. In the South, they cook meat in the tomato sauce and they do ribs and sausages and uh, capocola, all these different pieces that are stewed and they take them out. Right. But I'm, I imagine, because I'm not Italian, when people moved to America and they were using ingredients that they didn't know and they didn't have a lot of money, the cheapest meat to get was ground meat. And so you make a giant meatball mm-hmm. and cook it in your tomato sauce and make it even a more giant bowl of spaghetti because you're feeding, you know, everyone had eight kids, right? Right. And you'd have, that would, you only have one dish. Just so made it easier. Yeah. Big plate of pasta with tons of sauce and one meatball per person. Right. Because um, where, I'm, where I live, there's no spaghetti meatballs. I right. think La Marque has tiny little meatballs like that. Yeah. Um, and now I think things are changing in that people are coming back. Italian-Americans are coming back to Italy. Yeah. Asking for chicken parmesan, right. spaghetti and meatballs. Right. And they found new recipes. So I went to one, one restaurant in Puglia and they had spaghetti with a meatball. And I can't tell you how happy my clients were. <laughs> well, I think it's validation in some ways, you know, they're, that's what they're looking for is that, you know, this culture that they grew up in the U.S. Uh, is parallel to, you know, what's still going on in Italy, which, you know, obviously that's not accurate, but um, that, that type of validation that your guests found was probably very comforting to them, you know, to, to see that connection that they had, you know, with, with Italy. And there's so. also a problem with different regions having different names for things. True. I, so you're Italian, right? Italian-American, yeah. So, but I was married to Sicilian. What's that? Bracciole. Bracciole, yeah. Bracciola. Mm-hmm. What is it? That's like a, a rolled uh, meat kind of thing. Um, I, I, in Sicily, I've had bracciole di pesce spada, which is wonderful. I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the bracciole is usually like a, a rolled uh, meat and then grilled or something. Or how does well, it it, if your family's like from around Naples or something, it was probably a rolled stuffed piece of meat with like hard boiled egg in it. Yeah. Cooked in a big tomato sauce. Cooked in a big tomato sauce, yeah. Well, in Florence, where we're famous for our steak, a bracciola is just a paper-thin slice of beef grilled. Oh, wow. So I've had people, I first started waitressing to learn the Italian language about food. And I had people come in and they were speaking Italian. They wanted it. They saw bracciola on the menu. They ordered it. Fine. <laughs> They're American. I'm American. I'm listening to their Italian. I'm writing it down. They're so happy. I come back and I give them the bracciola. She goes, that's not what I, all of a sudden in English, that's not what I ordered. <laughs> well, is your family from Naples? Um, <laughs> That's right. So yeah. did you eventually like uh, have to pre-educate the, the people when they're ordering? Say, oh, no, hold on. Now, this is what it's going to be. It's not what you're yeah, thinking. Yeah. So, okay. I don't know. <laughs> that must have been a real experience. I um, mean, when I'm, you know, I've been mostly in Tuscany my life. I do travel. But um, I'll go to Naples and they'll have a pasta I've never heard of. I'm like, well, what exactly is that? And even trying to get someone sometimes to explain to you what it is. Like that was a chagatelli. What is that? Thick, 
It's a thick, square, chewy spaghetti. Okay. But you rarely see it. Maybe it's down like on the Amalfi Coast. Okay. It's not everywhere. Hmm. But just a different kind of pasta, you know? Like, what's this? It's, it's everywhere here. I, I need to get that, you know? But then when I actually ate it, to me, it was too, too thick and too chewy. You know, you were talking about the bracciole, and I, I remember one t- my probably my first time in Florence, I was looking for the Bisteca Fiorentina, and uh, so I go to some restaurant somebody recommended, really good, really authentic place. Um, but, you know, I mean, I had, I had to, like, argue with the waiter to try to get him to cook it a little bit beyond uh, al sangue, and he just refused. And <laughs> finally, I... I, I said, please. I, and he brought it, and I, I just, I just said, it's, it's too rare. I can't eat it like this. So he brought it back to the kitchen, and like 15 minutes later, it came back charred to a crisp. Like they were like teaching me a lesson, I guess. They were so angry that that, that I asked them to, to cook it a little more. And uh, there's a reason for that. In that, if you think about it, when you look at American beef, yeah, that's raised on hormones, steroids, and antibiotics, they corn feed the cattle. Right. Which is not a normal diet for a cow. I mean, to have the marbleization in the meat. Right. So hormone steroids and antibiotics make your meat tough. The the marbleizing you have to cook to medium for it to tenderize the meat. Uh Our cows are grass fed. Yeah. And if you overcook it, it gets tough. There's no marbleization in the meat. So it's kind of like black and blue. They have them at room temperature. Usually the steaks. The problem I found with most people is you don't realize it's a kilo of meat, 2.2 pounds, and that it's meant to be shared. So a lot of people will go and order a bisteca, and it comes out, and it's like, how are you going to eat all that food? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so what, what is the name of the cow again? It's from Chianti, right? It's called Chianina. Uh, Chianina. Yeah. And I imagine it goes well with a Chianti wine. Yeah. Or no, you need something. <laughs> is that what, about what you would you pair that with a Chianti wine or would that be? Well, any wine. I mean, yeah. you know, we have such so many kinds of beautiful wines in Tuscany, not just mm-hmm. Chianti. We have, <coughs> excuse me, Brunelli di Montalcino. Of course. Vino Nobili di Montepulciano. Any of those big wines are great for any of the big celebratory Meat. meats. Yeah. Like wild boar stews or the big bistec alla Fiorentina. Mm-hmm. I love the, the wild boar stews. about getting a... Um, a really good Brunello when you go out is that it should be open and breathed before you actually drink it. Yeah. So, um, you know, when we go, you when you know somebody and when you go to the same place often, you call them up and say, I'm coming for lunch. I'm going to get this. Could you open the wine for me? Now, you how can't long, do like that an hour before moment. or how long before? Oh, at least an hour before. But if they craft it for you, too, that helps. Okay, aerates it a little bit. Let's get a little oxygen. Yeah, yeah. Because why would you want to spend all that money and not enjoy the wine? Right. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be fully opened when, right when it's exactly. Yeah. So that's that's interesting. Wow. So then, um, so what other things would you would you make a dessert for your with your guests too? Do they? I was the pastry chef in my first life. So oh well. So you definitely are making dessert now. Would you have to make it ahead of time, or can your guests make it? With I try you? to make things that that work. Mm-hmm. So. Um, if we're going to have like panna cotta, which people love to make, we make that first. And by the time we finish cooking everything else, it's ready. Oh, good idea. Yeah. Um, last week I did a, um, the Tuscan pie crust, well, Italian pie crust, pasta frolla. Yes. Which is a butter cookie and a sugar cookie. Mm-hmm. And we made one that's called torta la nonna, grandmother's cake. And it's, um, you cook the base first, then you make fresh pastry cream. And we tend to flavor our creams with lemon zest not vanilla 
And so you cook the, the pastry cream with lemon zest in it, let that cool. And then you make like, I call them a giant ravioli. You put a filling of the cream in the middle and another crust on top and you rebake it with almonds pressed in. And that's just delicious. Wow, that sounds amazing. But it's, me, it's all timing. Whereas if you think I'm making an antipasto first course, main course, vegetable dessert, you usually start with your dessert mm-hmm. and then put on something that needs to slow cook for about an hour. And then you can work your way through. And the last thing you do is you put your pasta on to boil. Yeah, so that's, that's got to be, that's right. That's, you got to be ready to eat the pasta as soon as it comes off the stove. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. That's, that's one thing I know, Ameri- that's another thing Americans do. They'll, they'll save leftover pasta for the next day or, you know, they'll leave it sitting in the, in the, in the water after, you know, take it off the stove, leave it sitting in the water. And, yeah. Yeah, or rinse it off, right. But I remember that growing up, my mom didn't know anything about Italian food or anything, but uh, I remember, and I think this is probably just from before, when we had pasta in America, it was American pasta. Right. It wasn't really Italian pasta. Right. It's and a different thing. It was very gummy and uh, starchy giving off into the water. Right. And so you were taught to rinse that off. Right. But now the, the real pasta doesn't need to be rinsed off. In fact, sometimes you add the pasta water to the sauce. To get a little bit of that starch right. water. Right. Right. All the well, secrets. Tell me a little bit about some of the stuff you're doing online. I mean, like if people can't make it to Italy this year, what can you offer them through your website, through your well, apps? Through your... Uh, during COVID, I started doing um, online classes right. live. But for me, the timing was so hard because yeah, six hours. I have to do it like at six or seven o'clock at night, my time. Yeah. And if so they're in California, my God, I mean, that's even tougher. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I, it was funny because I have, I just got a note from a woman from the Philippines that took my class and she would stay up till midnight to take the class. <laughs> she goes, oh, you saved me during COVID. You know, thank you so much, blah, blah, blah. But um, so what I decided to do instead so that people from all over the world could watch is I've pre-recorded, edited, and put together like a, a library, yeah. summer school, videos yeah. online that you could uh, join pick the ones you want, buy them separately. That's or great. I have Patreon, which is a new recipe a week. Yeah, I did. I did your <laughs> Patreon for a year. Uh, that, that was great. I did. It and then, then I just realized, you know, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't doing it right. I just, you know, I, I don't really have skills in the kitchen, unfortunately, but uh, yeah. you know, uh, I enjoyed, I did. What I like about it is learning about the recipes, learning about the ingredients and, and you know, what goes together and why. Uh, mm-hmm. That to me, that's that's super interesting, and how the how the foods uh, and the recipes are part of the culture, how they evolved over time, how the food and the wine goes together, and and for what reason, and and, and all that stuff. So you're you're really good about bringing all that together, and I think that's what I enjoy the most about you know your your content, your websites, your videos, your your newsletters, is that you you kind of bring it all together in that way. And so it's yeah, because I think it's really trying to understand, and I, and I think also prepare people for what things look like when you get here right yes like they have to understand that our bread is disgusting and has no salt in it in right, right. In that's right and so why we have all these recipes with stale bread because the bread goes stale very right. quickly but pancinella in summer when it's it's almost like a couscous consistency yeah and so something like a tabbouleh would be much better than croutons yeah 
No, I, yeah, the, the people aren't ready for the Tuscan bread. They taste like, oh, this is tasteless, you know. But we don't <laughs> eat the bread by itself. Right, that's right. You got to have it with some nice prosciutto or salami or something right, or, or you cheese. Your plate with it. They, yeah. Um, you know, Americans expect to get a loaf of bread, a basket of bread, and eat all the bread before their meal comes. Right, right. And what, there's a saying by Dante, isn't there, about how salty is other people's bread or something like exactly, that? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, um, well, listen, Judy, this has been great. Uh, I'm going to uh, sign off here now because you and I are going to have another conversation on, uh, about some other things related to food and, and how food can also be uh, healing in a lot of ways. So um, I'm going to say goodbye to you for now. And then uh, we'll pick this conversation up on the other podcast, Eat Like an Italian. So thank you for sharing this with me. And uh, don't go away. I'm going to be right back. Okay. Ciao. All right. Ciao. Okay, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If so, please click over to iTunes to subscribe and leave an honest review. Join me next time when I discuss another topic of Italian culture. Until then, arrivederci.